This week, the Productivity Commission declared the closing the gap strategy is failing. The report was scathing, accusing government, state and federal of, quote, disregard for the suggestions of Indigenous communities and gave a reminder that fundamental to the closing the gap agreement is an acceptance by government decision makers that they don't know what's best for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people, that it's time for Indigenous-led responses to be listened to and implemented. Economic independence is at the heart of giving Indigenous Australians more direct control over their futures. That's certainly the view of many. Well, the state of WA is trying a new policy to close that gap. The Cook Labor government of WA is currently drawing up legislation for a massive land transfer back to the traditional owners. 20 million hectares that for the past 50 years have been held by the Aboriginal Lands Trust, a statutory body set up after church missions closed down. Gareth Ogilvie from the Bandi and Jawa Aboriginal Corporation in the West Kimberley has been negotiating with the state government over this transfer of land tenure and I spoke to him earlier. Thanks very much, Fran. Gareth, the Aboriginal Lands Trust is a vast area of land. It's been Aboriginal land for 50 years, but as I understand it, Aboriginal communities don't own it yet or don't control it. Is that right? Who, who does own it? Who does control it? It's been owned and controlled by the WA state government since the early 70s. We've wanted that back since we've had our native title determination back in 2008. It's a um, a long promise or a, a policy objective uh, that the WA state government have been highlighting for, for decades now and um, we're just um, ready to have it back. So you're on uh, the brink of that now with this legislation that's that's been drawn up? Well, we've been looking at this and discussing different negotiations and uh, tenure options with the state government for the last two years. We believe we're a few steps further down the path than other Aboriginal corporations and, yeah, we're, we're willing and able. Let's talk about capability and capacity. For what? What difference will this transfer or ownership make to Indigenous communities there in the West Kimberley? It'll help us um, essentially attract uh, third-party investment. Uh, we should be thriving at, at this point in our, in our corporation's history, but uh, we're not essentially, given the, um, those different land assets uh, are locked up with the existing legislation. There's some beautiful areas up there in the West Kimberley, aren't there? Uh, there are, and if you think um, Broome is beautiful, from what you've seen in the media, then um, we've got 10 times uh, more uh, not more beauty in terms of assets and, and landscape and, and culture and things like that. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, the, um, the, the things that do exist up there for tourism aren't that great. We believe um, that the tourists don't really come back after that. They visit once or, or twice. Um, and, yeah, things could certainly be improved um, because... There is, there is a dead end to the end of that road and um, yeah, it's just a real disappointment in terms of um, what can go to the Aboriginal community. What about um, home ownership, Gareth? The family home is a key asset of millions of Australians. Can people living on these land trust lands now, do you own your own houses and, and can they buy and sell like the rest of us? Uh, they can't, unfortunately. And um, yeah, absolutely, home ownership is a, a really strong aspiration for, for us and its members and, um, yeah, again, we really should be thriving and it, it seems to everyone that um, anywhere outside remote communities um, they, they can have the opportunity or the ability to participate, to participate in the economy to own their home but, again, we're constrained by those, those tenure options. 
And um, yeah, certainly we believe if we can own our own houses, we'll um, obviously take care of them more. And um, yeah, we just need jobs up there to, to have that capacity. Do the Indigenous owners up there in in the West Kimberley, do you feel like you're being shortchanged in a sense? Do you feel like you've got your hands tied behind your back because you can't own your home, you can't get a business going like every other Australian can? Yeah, absolutely. And um, all we can do is uh, compare ourselves to uh, normal towns like Margaret River, Cottesloe or even in Broome. So, um, yeah, things are locked up. We can't uh, actually look at uh, administering that without the, the funds to do so, to, to sit down and have those negotiations. So we're really at early days. Gareth, you've been negotiating with the state government to get these laws. The legislation's almost there, as I understand it. Do you see what you're negotiating as potentially a model that could be used across different communities in different parts of the country? Uh, absolutely. We'd love to be the, the pilot project. Um uh, we are, again, we are a few steps further down the path than, than others, uh, whereas there's um, others who are fur- further down the path than, than us. And, um, yeah, we just believe that um, there are examples that have to be picked up, given that the, um, you know, the, the Cook government are likely to go to an election uh, this time next year, and um, we just expect them to, to budget uh, for that uh, process to happen, um, yeah, given that they have been pledging and promising funding uh, for the last two years. That's Gareth Ogilvie from the Bandi Jawa and Jawa Aboriginal Corporation in the West Kimberley. Well, I'm joined now by Professor Peter Yu, Vice President, First Nations Portfolio at the ANU. Peter, as many of you will know, has a long history of advocating for the people of the Kimberley. For a long time, he was CEO of the Kimberley Land Council. And he's also been warning for a very long time that the Closing the Gap strategy wouldn't work, arguing instead for economic independence for those living on traditional lands. Peter, you. Welcome back to Saturday Extra. Uh, thanks, Fred. Nice to talk to you. Peter, in the past, you've described the Closing the Gaps policy, quote, as good intentions but lost in misguided and racist patronage and inequality. So I'm guessing you weren't surprised by the findings of the Productivity Commission this week. Um, it's probably a bit of an understatement, Fran. <laughs> I think a lot of Aboriginal people wouldn't have been uh, surprised by the comments uh, in terms of the inability to meet the targets, though I do think the uh, additional kind of uh, comments made by the report uh, are quite significant in relation to what is needed. Then clearly, the there is a paradigm shift needed, and I think that you know the fundamental change is required, where there is a greater transparency and accountability. I think an important part of that is really the issue of the relationship with the jurisdictions uh, and the, uh, the I guess the leadership of the public service, which is somewhat a bit of an irony given the failure of the referendum, of course, with the voice that's one of the key um, underlying kind of purpose and reasons was to, in fact, uh, deliver greater efficiency and outcome uh, in respect to uh, close the gap targets uh, had the voice uh, been successful. And that's exactly what the Productivity Commission is found is missing really here in closing the gap policy and the way it's being implemented, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's correct. I think I think the other thing to I, I always look a bit to Canada in terms of where they are because I think they're about 30, 40 years ahead of us from a um, from a kind of structural point of view uh, and uh, where there is the kind of level of engagement with the uh, bureaucracy and Aboriginal leadership in designing policy and the and the respective kind of structural changes that are required. 
And uh, I was there in Canada last year in November, and I spoke to uh, Chris DeShane, who is the Director General of the Crown uh, Aboriginal Relations Department. And uh, his view was uh, things started to change when the senior public service uh, switched on to what needed to be done and were committed to doing it. And I think I think the Productivity Commission report kind of hints at that in terms of suggesting that um, they're, they're understanding and knowing and committed uh, to the nature of what those targets are. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, we do need to close the gap. It is a kind of a safety net measure in respect to dealing with the uh, continuing unacceptable position of Aboriginal people. But of course, uh, as you've quoted me uh, previously in relation to the economic development stuff, that is uh, clearly uh, the nature of where we need to move from now. Let's talk more about that. I mean, Indigenous people, Indigenous Australians through land rights and native title now own a lot of land, but there's very little individual wealth generated and very little generational wealth. What is the disconnect? Uh, well, significantly, uh, I just want, could I just make a couple of comments, first of all, listening to, uh, to Gareth, sure. I think, the WA situation, because I think that probably... Um, I don't believe the government is going to move to um, implement legislation. I think um, the acting premier last year said they were, after there was some suggestion that they might be, uh, they were not going to. I just think it's too complex. You, well, the legislation to... is still being is still being worked on. It's still on the table. They said just last month they were still committed to it. Yeah, but I, I you don't, I don't believe have, them. I, I, don't, I don't believe it will go through. I think it's too complex because you, you're dealing with a situation where you have. Um, WA is the only state that doesn't have specific state legislation dealing with land rights, with only state in the country, right? Um, but yet, uh, the there is native title determinations over all these reserves, right? All the big reserves. We also need to distinguish that there are town-based reserves as well to people who live on in, mm. in the town. I actually live on one in Broome, and and uh, we don't have any rights whatsoever. It's quite discriminatory. So we're dealing with this very old colonial, you know, paternalistic reserve system. But the other issue is you have to think about the complexities of what it actually means if you're going to look at um, the question of fungibility, um, the question of um, access to finance, to capital, uh, the ability of title, the question of uh, the possibility of extinguishing of native title, which most people would, would I think, reject. The government can actually do things on reserve lands today under the Land Administration Act, the WA Act, where they can lease uh, land to Aboriginal people uh, for economic development purposes. But it hasn't happened, um, and and that's largely because of this whole question of what you just asked about what needs to happen, why there isn't the, the level of activation of these assets to the extent that people can engage in economic activity. And I think uh, there is that question of fungibility, People's uh, concern about um, um, being marginal, their title, their native title being um, subjected to uh, extinguishment mm -hmm. or partial extinguishment, whatever. I think also the question is access to finance. Um, the, um, you know, being able to mobilize public and private investment um, for uh, economic purposes. Um, I, I've mentioned fungibility, uh, you know, so that there, that probably needs to happen through changes in the Native Title Act without. As so I that say, investors would be more certain about the terms. Yeah, but I mean, investors aren't going to invest in it uh, at the moment, Fred, unfortunately, because it, the because of the nature of scale and the issue of risk. And so, governments have a very important role in in uh, a positive intervention 
uh, as opposed to the other in types of intervention. Uh, what we need is a comprehensive economic development uh, policy. But uh, what what we do also need is investment in building the capability mm. capacity. Yeah, so it's not just money. It's not just a transfer of land type. It's also a capability building. Exercise. Yeah, I think correct, correct. Because but we do need. You know, friend, we haven't had any uh, real policy reforms since the Native Title Act, in, in which is now over thirty years ago in Aboriginal affairs, when you think of it. And we really do need to modernise our institutional architecture to ensure that these national policy frameworks can support the structural reform that the Productivity Commission is talking about and what you would need to do for economic self-determination. And we've been stagnant for over 30 years and uh, we've been relying on this. I think my mantra is that we have got to own our risk ourselves and the only way we can do that is in in very genuine and real partnership with government, but we need also to know what needs to happen. I think Canada is a very good example in that regard. Uh, as I say, they're way ahead of us, but they have, uh, in 2005, they had the uh, Canadian First Nation Canadian Fiscal Management Act, which set up a number of institutions that could actually uh, deliver the nature of um, um, the reform that was required in working in building capability, attracting uh, private capital, and working with uh, corporations in respect to looking at various enterprises. Mm. You know. uh, Peter, just before we go, um, I- I've met you many times before, way back in Parliament House when you were working with the uh, Native Title Working Group and Lois Jo Donoghue, who was part of that group. Following her passing this week, I just thought it would be good to ask you what your your memory of, of Lowitcher or really what you think her legacy will be? Well, I, I can only concur what's already been said there in the public. I mean, um, you know, Noel, Noel Pearson said she's a, the leader of leaders. I, I, I mean, I was a bit... I went to the condolence uh, motion in Parliament the other day and I saw Peter Dutton and, uh, you know, Dave Littleprat and get up and speak. I... I just find the hypocrisy of that, given what she stood for, um, that she was, I mean, I had absolute admiration. I worked very closely with Loisha, like many other leaders, uh, not only during the Native Title days, but also prior to that, uh, the creation of ATSIC mm-hmm. uh, and when she was chair of the um, the ADC for a while after Jerry Hand um, appointed us as the interim dire- interim directors of the ADC to uh, work with the government in respect to setting up of ADSIC. Uh, Loacher, uh, and she was also, when I organised 1990 to go and see the Queen during the Republic debate, uh, Loacher was uh, with Pat Dodson and Marcy Langton and Gacha Jukura, who's now passed, of course, and I were, you know, the delegation that went to meet the Queen uh, on the basis of uh, instructions from our communities about um, if we're talking about a republic, then there needed to be some level of uh, reconciliation with the Crown uh, and First Nations people of Australia. Uh, it's very hard to find the right words to describe uh, her mm-hmm. uh, because it, it is. I've become quite emotional in the sense that all of the adversity that she herself had to endure and go through um, and then to be able to, in such stoic form, um, stand up, defend, and as people said, you know, as she said herself, her love for her community is, it, and the way she demonstrated it was just unquestionable. She was a woman sure. of the highest in, highest integrity. She was a woman who had significant passion but very kind of, um, very deliberate uh, in her strategy, very deliberate in her 
uh, understanding, very astute in her judgment making and prudent in the way she made those decisions about engaging with government, okay. with other leadership. People, I mean, she, she is one of a kind. Peter, thank you so much for that memory. Thank you. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you, Fran. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.